Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to grow in your journey of faith. We believe that hope is for everyone. So, no matter where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we believe Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. So again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Before we do that, I just want to... um introduce who's speaking this morning because it's not me. Uh, so to some of you, that's a relief that it's not me and I get it. I'm just teasing. And to some of you, you're sad, but let me, let me, let me just tell you. Uh, so this morning we get to hear from our youth director, Lane McDonald. And so I'd like to just welcome Lane up here at this time. And I'm going to do something different. I'm just going to lay my hands on him. We're going to pray for Lane. If you don't know, uh, Legacy Youth, um, you can bring, yeah, come on up guys. Don't be shy. You, you got to get up here eventually. So um, if you don't know, we've got a youth group that meets on Wednesday nights. Uh, it's for middle schoolers and high schoolers. We've actually just also sent out a newsletter to let you know about our camp coming up in July. So if you've got a student, make sure that you get them signed up. But uh, man, I just, I'm so proud of, of Lane. Uh, can I just tell you a couple things? So this is what lead pastors can do is they get to brag on people. We don't get to brag on ourselves, but we get to brag on people. And I just, I want to, I know that a lot of times when we come to church, uh, we get to kind of experience the benefit of the presence of God or or the work of other people, and, it, and it's beautiful, and we want people to experience that. But I want you to know, saying yes to God is not an easy thing. Uh, when God has a call on your life, when he has an assignment on your life, it's it's not easy to say yes. And uh, for some of you, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Lane, Lane works a full-time job uh, outside of the church, and it also works a part-time job here at the church that really is more full-time here at the church. Um, and, and beyond that, beyond, beyond the logistics of that, uh, Lane, Lane and Michaela are, are in a season where they've just given uh, birth to, well, she did, uh, to, to a new baby. Lane, Lane just kind of sat there and watched. <laughs> Michaela just did all the work, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's very easy for any one of us throughout whatever life season to make excuses. And some of them just give valid reasons as to why it's easy to just say no to God and his assignment on our life. And what I so appreciate about Lane and Michaela is that in a season of difficulty, in a season where things don't always look exactly perfect and are aligned, uh, they've said yes to God in the midst of that. And I believe God is going to continue to use them in a mighty way because of this. Um, I said this to Lane a couple weeks ago when he preached and I was out of town, that I felt like there was just a new anointing that came over him that Sunday. I don't know if you guys felt it that day. But so with that, would you extend your hands? I know this is different. Uh, Father, right now I pray for my brother, and I ask in Jesus' name that you would use him with power and authority, and that your word would come alive to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's hear it for Lane McDonald. Well, good morning, everybody. I was going to sit up here and introduce myself, but I guess I don't need to do that anymore. Uh, no, my name is Lane McDonald. If you guys haven't met me yet, you know, my, my wife and I are the youth directors. We Enjoy hanging out with your kids, your middle schoolers and high schoolers. Um, you know, I think it's a hard job for some people. For me, that's why I build a team of a bunch of youth leaders around me, so I don't have to hang out with them all the time, you know? Uh, no, I'm excited, I'm honored, I'm privileged to be able to get up here and speak before you guys. You know, it, I do count it a blessing, I count it a privilege, I count it an honor just to be able to share whatever God has put on my heart. Um, for those of you that may not know. You know, I have grown up in church for a long time. Um, a bit of my testimony, you know, I, I was raised in a Christian household. I was raised in, raised in a Christian family. Um, and even with all the right things, I decided, you know, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, and God let me for about a decade. He let me do kind of my own thing and walk away and do whatever I wanted to until it all came tumbling down and I realized that was not the way for me. That is not the way for any of us. And, you know, I, I say that because I do speak to you guys with a little bit of, um, I think when we look at the message today, I'm also preaching to myself. I'm teaching a message to myself. I think that there's, some tr there's truths in here that God has for all, all of us, but I would say that when I'm writing a message, I'm, I'm literally saying, God, how are you going to speak to me 
so I can speak to somebody else. And I think that when we are a church body, that when we come together, I want God to speak to all of us so that we can speak to other people. And I think that's the heart of it. Now, I have, Tony, he saw my notes. This is not in my notes. This is kind of what I'm feeling right now. (laughs) I'm just looking at this congregation. I'm like, I see so much wisdom in the room, so much history in the room, so much power within the room. And so I don't want any of us to walk out of here today not realizing the power that God has given to all of you. We've been singing about the Holy Spirit, and that same Holy Spirit's within all of us. And so I think that we are the ability, we have the ability to go out and bring that hope for all. That being said, I want to get into our message today. I think, you know, we have been, uh, we just kicked off a series called The Way. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about preparing the way, which is preparing the way of Jesus Christ. And that all led us up to Easter. And now Pastor Tony kicked this off last week with the way of Jesus, the way of Christ. Because if we're going to be followers of Christ, we need to understand the way of him. And so today, I get the privilege to talk to you guys about the way of love and justice. And I think when I was given that topic, I was like, wow, this could go all over the place. There are so many different ways that you can go with this topic of love and justice. And I think it's probably a key, I think there's a reason that Pastor Tony put those two together. I think when we was going through and preparing messages and preparing a plan of what God was putting on his heart and what he was going to speak to us is how did Jesus live out the way of love and justice? How do we look at Jesus's life and actually see love and justice combined? How do we see that? Now, I would say that when I went and I asked uh, some people in my family and some friends of mine, when I asked them what does it mean to you? What does love mean to you? I like to kind of start there because I feel like it's easier, right? A lot of people have a good explanation of what love is. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I would stay up way too late and I'd watch TV way too late without my parents knowing. And then I would fall asleep on the couch. I was talking to Danny about this, who's our amazing AV director in the back. Let's give it up for Danny Hoover in the back. But Danny and I were talking about, I was like, you never fall asleep on the couch and you see infomercials when you wake up about knives and such like that, (laughs) right? Well, in the topic of love, I wanted to kind of share one of the things that would pop up if you stayed awake until 2 or 3 (laughs) a.m. I love that there's some of you trying to sing along with this. Once in a lifetime, guys. Once in a lifetime. Okay, so if you stayed awake that late, you probably saw this once in a lifetime CD, which now we all have Spotify and iTunes in our pockets so we can listen to this whenever we want. But that was what love was to 17-year-old Lane, listening to those songs. He's like, that's what love is. Like, how do I live without a person? Man, that's, that's love. I need that. And then as I grow older and mature, I realize, oh, well, there's a lot of views of what love is. In fact, in America alone, last year, 23%, there was a 23% spike in viewership of reality love shows. Now, I would say my favorite on that list is 90 Day Fiance, you know? (laughs) I will say my wife probably started watching it, and then I would like stand in the doorway. I'm like, this is dumb. What are you watching? And I'd sit down on the couch, and I'm like, well, how are they going to make this work? They only have 90 days? Like, it's a mess. Like, what's going on? Love is blind. How are they going to fall in love? They've never seen each other. They don't know their families. How does this work? So there's so many different views of, of love within our country alone, right? And when I think about the other aspect of that, of love and justice, my mind also goes to, well, justice. What is that when we're talking about justice? And similarly, I talk to a lot of people about what is justice to you? Now, I think I asked six people and I got six different answers of what justice is. You know, when my mind first went to justice, obviously, like I'm a pop culture TV nerd, right? So I thought of law and order, 
SVU, right? I'm thinking of like, you know, Blue Bloods. Anybody watching Tom Selleck and things like that, you know? I'm thinking about the TV shows. We're obsessed with watching these shows to see if justice will be served. If the person that did the crime is going to get the time, you know, I'm thinking about those kinds of things. You know, when we think about podcasts, the podcast world's obsessed with crime and solving crime. Everybody thinks they could solve a murder now, right? Like everybody thinks they know how to serve justice in their life. Now, why am I talking about pop culture? Why am I talking about TV? It's because I'm a youth director. I need to get your attention. That's why, right? But all that does not matter in the context of Jesus, I want us to look at the word of God because I think that in order to actually understand a biblical understanding of love and justice, that is where we need to start. We need to look at what Jesus says about love and justice. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open up to the book of Luke. Luke is one of the 12 disciples, one of the closest friends of Jesus, walked with Jesus, would take notes on what Jesus is saying. And in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29 is where we're going to start. This is an encounter with Jesus and one of the experts in the religious law. And I think it's kind of fitting when we're talking about justice It's kind of fitting that we're talking about justice and we are having a conversation with Jesus and somebody who knows the religious law of the day and the past. So let's look at that together. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Not wise, just saying. (laughs) To test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say, and how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responds, right, do this, and you will live. The man really wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, I look at this passage and I'm like, you know what? It's kind of interesting that Jesus is having a conversation with somebody who Luke calls an expert. Talking to Jesus, who is the expert, right? And this guy is here to test the word. Like he's testing God himself. He's saying, I know the law. I'm going to test you to see if you know the law. Recognize, well, clearly not recognizing who it is that he's speaking to. You know, I think it's beneficial for us that we can stand on this side and be like, clearly that's Jesus. I mean, the words are in red in my Bible. I can see that, right? But this guy did not know who it was that he was speaking to. Now, Jesus does, you know, kind of go along with him. He does say, hey, you're right. Love is the greatest commandment. When you're looking at laws and you're looking at commandments, you are correct, expert, Love is what is the big deal. That is what we are all about, love. Now, after he gives Jesus the correct answer, I feel like in this context, he's telling Jesus, here's the right answer. I don't know what it means. And I looked at that myself. I'm like, I, I am brought up in a church. I'm brought up to no religion. I, I study theology. Do I have the right answers for people but without the right context for those answers? Do I, as a Christian, know the right way, the right words, the right context, but do I not actually understand what it is I'm telling people? And I I wanna look at this because I think even in this passage, this is a passage I grew up reading a lot, is love God, love your neighbor. And I think I separated the two for a long time. I would look at this, I'm like, yes, the greatest commandment is to love God. That is what we need to do. That's why it's, it starts off our phrase on the wall. Jesus, people, hope for all. The first thing is Jesus, because you have to love God. That's where you start. Yeah. However, Jesus does not actually separate the two. Right. He's putting them together, which would lead me to my first statement, point, as you would call it. If you want to love God, you must love people. Also, if you want to love people, you must love God. 
And I think that would be before we go any further in this context of love and justice, we have to understand that right there. This is the command. This is the law. This is just. This is it. You cannot separate the two. It is one command with two parts. Love God and people. Love people and God. They cannot be separated. And I think that so many of us are like that religious expert. I believed that I understood what it meant to love God. I have an understanding of what it means to love God. I study the word. I've, I've looked through the history books. I've looked at the Old Testament. I've studied through this. I know how to love God. But do I? Did I miss it? Because I would argue that this expert in the law, the fact that he doesn't even know who his neighbor is, tells Jesus he doesn't know who God is. And I look at this, I'm like, do I not know who my neighbor is? Do I not love God and claim, or do I not love my neighbor but claim to love God? And I think it's a bold statement, right? To say that if you don't know how to love your neighbor, then you don't know how to love God. When I'm reading that, I'm like, that is kind of a dangerous statement, right? That's kind of a thing when I look at it, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. And I think that's helpful for us in the room to be like, I don't know if I actually agree with this. <laughs> and I think it's, I encourage all my youth to do this. Doubt me. Test it. See if you can love people without loving God. Because I look at this, I'm like, is that really what Jesus is telling us? Is that really what he's saying? However, in fact, if we go and look at 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And if you want to know the characteristics of God, I encourage you to go and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and study that and do a deep dive and look at what is a description of God. If God is love, you read 1 Corinthians and don't look at it like, oh, this is a great marriage, that love is patient and kind and all these things. This is what marriage is supposed to be like. No. That's a description of what God is. And our marriage hopefully can resemble God if we are Christians. But we don't need to look at 1 Corinthians and say, hey, this is what my life needs to be like. Because you can't meet that standard. Because I can't be like God. I am not God. I'm going to do everything I can to love like God, but love comes from God. I don't even have that in the notes. I just want too many. I've been to too many weddings where I've said that. <laughs> but I look at this and I'm like, you know, if the expert there doesn't know who is his neighbor, I think the follow-up question that he would ask or that I would ask is, if I'm saying, Jesus, who is my neighbor? The other question I could ask is, how do I love my neighbor? How do I actually love my neighbor? If I want to fulfill the command, if I want to love God and I want to love my neighbors, how do I do that? Well, that is where I think we come back to this way of living, love and justice. That's where I think that these two go hand in hand. These two concepts, in my mind, were separated for a long time. And maybe it's because I didn't have an exact understanding of what justice is, or maybe I clearly didn't know what love was, you know. But I don't even know if you want to call it a point per se, but one of the statements I think it would be great to write down would be, love without justice is not godly love. And justice without love is not godly justice. Now, I look at everything in this world, and I'm like, you know what? There are you know, carbon copies of everything out there, right? There is a cheap knockoff of everything. Yeah. 
this world has, if somebody wants to make something beautiful and they want to make this one-of-a-kind, unique artwork piece, somebody's going to make a copy of it. I look at the shoes on my feet, for example. I'm wearing Jordans, okay? And the reason I'm wearing Jordans is not only just to show up your kids in youth group is... Um, <laughs> But I, I love the history. I love the story behind them. I, I think it's an amazing, I, I think it's something that's dangerous for me because they they're not cheap. So my wife has to put a hand on me, make sure I don't go out and buy a bunch of shoes to match every outfit. But when I look at Jordans, there are companies out there that will spend thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to hire people, people experts in the field to make sure that the shoes coming in are not cheap knockoffs. Because when you have a shoe that can start off at $100 and then go upwards of $1,000, who knows why leather can cost over $1,000, but when you have shoes that can go up in that value, you have people that are going to want to make a cheap knockoff version of it. And the problem with having cheap knockoffs when it comes to our faith is that it can be dangerous. If somebody takes a shoe and they're like, hey, I don't want to pay the $100 for it. I can get this pair on the street for $25. So it looks exactly like that. If they were to go out and play a basketball game in those shoes, the danger is that those shoes could fall apart on them while they're on the court. They could injure their ankle. They could end their career if they're playing in the wrong shoes or using a cheap knockoff version of something. And I think that when we go about our world and we, are, we go about it and we're like, hey, I know what love is. It doesn't actually involve justice. Well, then that's a cheap knockoff version of what love is supposed to be. And when I go out and I'm like, I can, be, I can be justified, I can do the right thing, I can show justice to people, but I don't actually love the people that I'm showing justice to, well, then it's a cheap knockoff of what justice actually is. And I don't want us as a church to go about claiming that we know the truth, we know God, we have the answer, and we're just giving people cheap knockoffs. So I want us to look back at that passage and, and where it says, when the neighbor asks, who is my neighbor? I think he's asking the question, how do I love? Who do I love? Who must I actually show love to? Who must I actually put action towards? Who am I supposed to show justice towards? And I think if we're in the room and we're asking those same questions, then I think we're on the right track. Yeah. And Jesus, knowing that this guy had the right question, he may not have understood exactly in that moment, but he had the right question. He uses a parable in response to him. So if we go on further in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37, I'll, we'll read this together says right here, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits, by robbers. They stripped him of all of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed to the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Then Jesus says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Jesus takes this simple story and in this story tells a religious expert, I'm going to put you into the story. There's a priest that walks by. This is a man who is raised to know the law. And he sees somebody who has 
on the side of the road, half dead, and doesn't even get near him, but walks to the other side of the road. Now, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, I get it. Priests back in that time, they couldn't be near unclean things. They couldn't be close to death. However, I did a little research, and according to rabbis, if it's a life or death situation, throw the law out the window. If it's a life or death situation, it does not matter. Do the right thing. So this priest walking by knew what the right thing was and still chose to walk on the other side. Then we have a religious assistant, somebody who helps out in the temple. He walks up to the person, looks at him, and decides, no, I'm going to keep on moving. And then we have a Samaritan, which if you don't know the context of a Samaritan, a Samaritan is somebody who is despised by the Jewish people because basically they have the wrong theology. They don't have the correct terms. They don't know the correct places. They don't know God. And so this person who walks up to this man doesn't know God according to others, doesn't have the right theology, doesn't have the degree, doesn't have the right qualifications, and is filled with compassion for this broken person on the side of the road. And I look at this and I'm like, I love how Jesus when asked the question of, who is my neighbor? How do I love my neighbor? He responds with an action of justice. He says, you're going to see this story, and you're going to see yourself in this story. And I look at this story, and I look at myself in this story. If I call myself a Christian, I call myself a believer, I'm walking along, and I see a broken individual, am I going to stop and do the right thing? Or am I going to let somebody else come along and fix the problem? And I think when we ask that question of how do we love, the answer would be by showing justice to our neighbors. Who do we love? It would be the neighbors that actually need justice. Jesus, in this story, is making it very clear to this religious expert that loving God has a lot to do with showing justice towards people. Loving your neighbor involves justice. Also, justice does require love. Many of us, I think, in the room know an idea of what justice is. Most of us think about it in that context I mentioned earlier of like law and order. And I think when I spoke to some of my friends, I was like, hey, what does justice mean to you? And they're like, if somebody does something wrong, they are punished for that crime. And I would not disagree I think when we look through the Bible, we look at a biblical perspective of justice, we all fall into the category of consequential justice. Like the whole point of the gospel, Easter Sunday, is the fact that we could not save ourselves. We were broken. We were lost. We could not do anything. We deserved death. Yet we have a just God who sends his son out of love to save us who paid the price for us. Love created justice for us. Love and justice is tied into the gospel message. But I want to take it one step further because I believe Jesus takes it one step further. It's not just consequential justice. If we're looking at justice, biblical justice, justice, simply put, is just what God thinks is right. Justice is what God thinks is right. And God requires love and justice. And I think that's a heavy word in our culture, a requirement, like a law, a commandment. Like these are big words. Like we don't like that, especially in America. We don't like anything that's a requirement, right? I hate going to the DMV and being told that I have to do stuff for my car. Like, it's my car. I want to do what I want. (laughs) But I don't like requirements. In fact, we've gotten to the point, I think, in churches today where we are so focused on it's a relationship, not a religion. And I love that. However, religion is built into a relationship. Like, it's not something we need to shy away from. 
when we hear these requirements, it's not something we just need to shy away from. And if you don't like me saying it, well, then let's go and look in the Bible. In Micah chapter 6, verses 8, he has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Once again, love and justice are hand in hand and they're not separated. So love without justice, not biblical justice or not biblical love. And justice without love is not a biblical justice. I think I like to look at this in the context of us. I know there's a lot of passages in the Bible that we look at and we're like, well, that's great for them. That's great for that religious expert. I'm glad that he's getting his head on straight. But what about me? I'm clearly not that person. I'm not walking past half-naked dead men on the side of the road, right? That's not me. We're not in that kind of a culture anymore. So what does that mean for us? I want us to all in the room ask ourselves, what would Jesus see in our own life? Would Jesus see love and justice in your life today? Like this is something I've been asking myself, not only for this week, but it's something I've been asking myself for weeks. If Jesus were to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, would he see love and justice in my everyday life? Wow. If they go hand in hand, and this is the greatest commandment, is to love God and my neighbors, would Jesus see that by having a conversation with me? And I want to make it even a little bit more personal for us. If Jesus was at our church today, would Legacy Church be a church that's known for love and justice? If he visited the churches in our community, would our churches be known for love and justice? If he walked around in churches in America, would American churches be known for love and justice? And I know this is like a heavy topic at times, and especially when we don't know exactly what, what it all means. Like, I mean, we keep going back to it. It's like, okay, well, I want to show love and justice. I want to do that. But, but who, who am I supposed to do this? Who are my neighbors? I get that it's like thrown out there. Like, love your neighbor. Love, your, love people, right? Who are these neighbors? Who are these people? Well, then let's go to the word. Because everything that I am finding, all the truth I'm giving, everything I'm learning, I have to go through that filter of the word. Like, it's written on our walls. Faithful to the word, right? Like, we are going to be faithful to what the Word of God says. Yep, yep. If we go and look at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, this is one of the first introductions of God to his people. Mm -hmm. This is a people that have been freed from slavery, and Moses is telling them, let me tell you who God is. I'm going to spell it out for you. I'm going to tell you who he is and who he stands for. So in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 19, he says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods. Yes. And he is the Lord of lords. And I look at this in the context. They are a people that came from a city and a culture of filled with many gods. So many different types of gods. In Egypt, if you go there today, you'll see there's gods after gods after gods, and they haven't tied to everything. And Moses is saying, hey, I know you've seen all these gods. Our God that we worship is the Lord of all of that. He is the God of gods. He is king of kings. And we sing this in our songs, right? He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God. Now, I say awesome a lot. I love that it's an Old Testament word. But awesome God. He shows no partiality and he cannot be bribed. And then he goes into who God, this God of gods. Who is this God of gods for? He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. Yes. He shows love to the foreigners living among you yes. and gives them food and clothing. Yes. So you too must show love to the foreigners. Yes. 
For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. And I know some people are like, well, Elaine, that's Old Testament. That was old news. We have New Testament. We've got, we're in America. We don't need that Old Testament law, right? So what does Jesus say in the New Testament when he's about to start his three-year ministry? When we get to introduce to who our God is in our New Testament, one of the very first things that he says is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord, Lord of lords, is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. All throughout the scriptures, I went and found one of the old and one of the new. You can find it throughout the Bible. All of the scriptures remind us That justice is how we are to show love to our neighbors, and then we are reminded of who our neighbors are. So once again, I'll even say this for myself. Why is the church within our country, in America, not known for justice? Why are we not known for loving others? Why are we not known for giving rights to people? Why is our church not known for fighting for these things? Once again, who does God say is our neighbors? The fatherless, the single parents, the immigrants, the poor, the enslaved groups, the prisoners, the lost, the blind, the oppressed, the minorities. All throughout scripture, Jesus and God is reminding us who our neighbors are. And I love that even in the Old Testament when he says, love the foreigners because you guys were once foreigners. I look at this this list. I was lost. I was blind. I fit in that category. And I'm not even saying I was literally blind. But I can look at this list and I'm like, there are not hypotheticals up there. These are literal descriptions of people that are in our countries, in our communities, in our world. And God is telling us, these are the neighbors that I need you to love. I was looking through some stats. And I learned, this is not a Christian research stat, but... A stat said that 60% of evangelical Protestants in the United States say that the United States does not have responsibility to accept refugees in this country. The other side of that coin is, when you look at those who are religiously unaffiliated, it's nearly the reverse. 65% of Americans who are not religiously affiliated believe that this country has a responsibility to help refugees. How did we get to the point where the church in America has flipped? When I look at some of our spiritual teachers and Christian teachers out here, I look at a quote from Beth Moore. Beth Moore said, when the gospel has become bad news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the brokenhearted and the imprisoned and becomes good news to the proud, self-righteous, and privileged instead, it is no longer the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll get a little personal with you. I myself, I don't, I don't know the right way to vote. I don't know the correct nonprofits to give my money to. I don't know the right community service things to get involved with. I'm not perfect. I have you know, sinful thoughts. I have sinful actions. I'm not perfect. In fact, I would say that I am preaching this message probably more to myself than anybody else in the room today. 
However, myself, I am heartbroken when I look at this TV screen and I see an image bearer of God crying out that he cannot breathe with a knee on his neck. I am crushed in my spirit when I see a child that walks up to the wrong door and is shot in the face because a person is so controlled by fear that they can't see the image of God. I am broken hearted when I see children being gunned down in elementary schools. I'm filled with compassion for the person that's struggling with an identity issue and can't understand how other people are walking around comfortable with the gender they were born in. I'm empathetic to the person that is struggling with a desire to have same-sex relations with somebody of the same gender, but knows that biblically, that's not God's plan. I'm filled with anger when I see heart-wrenching things on my TV screens in our country. When I look at other countries and I see these children that are being sold for money to businessmen that come to visit. When I see on the TV screen and I see children being ripped apart from families within our own country because they're on a border and they weren't born in the right country. I look at these things and I'm not perfect and I don't have the answer. But I look at the things on our walls of being radically hospitable, uncommonly generous and valuing everyone. And then I look at our churches and for some reason there's a disconnect. We claim that we love people but we've so separated it from justice for the people that we're called to love. And yet we are the ones who know God. Like I know this is heavy for a Sunday morning. I know that you came in here wanting to pick me up to get through the rest of the week. But I want us to understand the heaviness that's around us. The responsibility that our God gave us. Because we weren't deserving of consequential justice. So now we need to give those undeserving of actionable justice. I can invite our band to come up here and play, but I want us to think about this in closing. Doing justice with the love of Christ is a requirement of us. Like all of us in this room, if we call ourselves a believer, if we call ourselves a Christ follower, why are we not looking for those opportunities? The reason for us spreading the true gospel with other people is for this reason alone. Reuniting lost and broken people with the creator who is their savior. That is our calling. And how do we do that? Our actions. Our actions should be motivated by justice or doing what is right. Our actions should be empowered and fueled by the love of Christ that's within all of us. All of us in this room, that same Holy Spirit that was poured out so long ago is within all of us. We have that power to go out and make a difference. We have that responsibility to go and love our neighbor. There's a quote by KB, or Kevin Burgess, an artist. And he says, everything we do should be in an effort to point people to God. Our justice should point to the gospel and not away from it. Doing justice without the gospel is not just a failure in justice. It is a cruel and unloving thing to do. Doing evangelism without just mercy is faith without works. It is unbiblical, unholy, and furthermore, it is without love. We need the gospel. We need it. 
We need God. We need love. And we need justice. So what do we do? We know what love looks like. We know who our neighbors are. We know what justice is. So I tried to put things in in a step-by-step category, as it were, of how we need to actually go and make a difference. One, we need to actually identify who our neighbors are in our own community. I'm not saying like go around the world, go around countries. I'm saying in your own community, in your own life, identify who those people are. Who within your orbit is hurting right now? Who is being overlooked? Who is being undervalued? This could be widows. This could be orphans. It could be elderly. It could be immigrants. It could be financially struggling people. But I want us to identify who is around us and even potentially make a list. And then I want us to pray because we are a church that believes that there is power in prayer. It's not by our own strength, clearly, that we can do anything. But we do not underestimate God's ability to hear and act through our prayers. That is who we are. We are in communications with the God, the Lord of Lords, the God of gods, the King of kings. He is listening to us and our cries and our pleas. So let's not take that lightly. The third thing I think sometimes gets overlooked I want us to be willing to listen. Listen to the people that you've identified. Listen to their stories. Listen to their hearts. Listen to the reason why they are the way they are. Listen to how they got to the place they are. I think sometimes when you forget to listen, you can lose the ability to see someone as an image bearer like yourself. When we refuse to listen to somebody, we can almost dehumanize somebody. Because by listening to someone, maybe, potentially, we'll see ourselves in them. And if we can see ourselves in them, we can see God in them. If we can see ourselves in them, then we can see another image bearer in them. And I think that when we listen to these people, when we listen to their heartache and where they come from, then we can find a common ground. And I think that so many times finding that common ground gets overlooked. I think it's sometimes so easy to stand on the corner with a sign pointing people to Jesus, telling people that they're wrong in their sin, rather than just sitting, listening, sharing coffee, having common ground. And when you find a common ground with them, maybe they can find a common ground with you. Maybe they can see the love of Christ within you because you took the time to listen. The last thing, I don't think it'd be right if we didn't say put this into action. Look for actionable justice around you. I was talking to my father, and if you know my father, he is a missionary overseas in Thailand. And he probably wouldn't like me to say this. But he said there's so many people that are willing to give thousands of dollars to airline companies so they can fly to third world countries and be exposed to the heartache that's over there rather than giving thousands of dollars to feed those people. Like I look at the people around us in our communities and it's like they don't need to be told what they've done wrong. They need action to help them get out of doing the wrong thing. Who in our circles, what community groups can we be around? We have people in this room that work for nonprofits. We have people that help homelessness within our church community. Like this is a church that is uncommonly generous and wants to give towards organizations that actually will make a difference. But I want you guys to also think about making it personal to yourself. How will you represent God and love people and show justice to people. So I'm not gonna give you all the different nonprofits. I'm not gonna give you all the ways you can send your money or what you can do with your time because I do want us to think about it personally. I personally need to think about it. 
Because I was one of those lost. I was one of those broken. I was one of those people. And yet I had a God who died for me. And justice was served. And it was not fair. Justice is the gospel. Love is the gospel. And if you're in the room and you have not given your heart to God, and maybe you've been hurt by somebody who claimed that they knew God, I'm sorry. That's not the God we serve. Clearly, by the verses that we looked at today, that is not the God that we serve. And I'm sorry if somebody was a poor ambassador for the King of Kings in your life. And so I'm asking you that if you have not given your heart to God, or maybe you're in this room and you just realize, maybe I didn't love God the way that I thought I did. And you want to rededicate your life to God. You don't have to get up. You don't have to put your hand up. You can do this quietly in your seat. If you want to share with somebody in the prayer corner, go for it. But I want us to think about who our God is and how we're representing him. And I want us to think about the way that Jesus gave us, the way of love and justice. And I thank you guys for your time. I know this is a little heavier, but I think it's valuable. And I don't want us to miss the entirety and the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you guys. Thank you once again for joining us today. We hope today's message encouraged you, challenged you, and caused your faith to grow. If you enjoyed today's message, we highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss out on any future messages. To get to know us, to get connected with us, and to know how you can best partner with us, head to our website, LegacyChurchID.com, or come see us in person at our campus in Meridian, Idaho. We look forward to connecting with you. May God bless you and have a great rest of your day.